Chairman, Your Excellency, uh, esteemed organizers, uh, thank you for hosting me here today. Thanks to special thanks to Polis and Lucas for the invite and the coordination. Uh, today, I would like to briefly address the biggest challenges related to future greenhouse gas regulations in terms of regional aspects and international aspects. If we would try to put into a canvas how the regulations will look like today and in the future, as you can see in your screen, today we are mostly in a right quadrant world, meaning a compliance-based world, a report to comply world, while as we are moving towards 2024 with the European Union Fit for 55 regulations, CUETS and Fuel EU Maritime, and what the IMO is going to do from 2027, 2025 and 2027, meaning uh, the global fuel standard and the greenhouse gas pricing mechanism, it is evident that we are moving very fast into a market-based world, which practically means pay to comply. Concurrently with the EU and with what IMO is trying to do, the UK is going to set their own UK ETS scheme from 2026. China is finalizing their ETS guidelines. And in the US, we are seeing two separate guidelines. The Clean Shipping Act 2023, it was killed last year, and now it is resurfacing. And the International Maritime Pollution Prevention Act, which uh, will apply to ships from 10,000 GT and above, and most probably will carry penalties uh, ranging to $150 per ton of CO2 to applicable areas related to US exclusive economic zone and other penalties related to sulfur oxide emissions and NOx emissions within the United States of America. On an IMO basis, and I'm going to focus a little bit on in IMO because supposedly if IMO legislates something related to GHG emissions reduction, it is only normal that the other regional regulations may be retracted. So last June, IMO changed their ambition and their target. And with the previous strategy, where it was said that we need to move to 50% emission reduction by 2050, the strategy was revised to move to net zero on a well-to-wake perspective by or close 2050. This changes a lot because if you can see the trajectory, we are moving into a more quickly paced emission reduction scope. The CII goal until 2030 remains as it is. The new strategy also requires uptake of at least 5% of zero or near zero emission, technology, emission reduction technologies or fuels by 2030. And also, through intermediate checkpoints, we need to move to 30% emissions reduction compared to 2008 in 2030 and to 70% in 2040. How is IMO going to do that? How IMO is planning to do that? With the midterm measures, 
these meter measures are expected to be adopted from 2025 and enter into force by early 2027. These are on top of CII, and it would be a basket of measures, meaning a technical measure, a global fuel standard, and the greenhouse gas emissions pricing mechanism. We are going to see these measures from 2027. It's a reality. Both measures and this combination of measures will encompass an economic element, not only the greenhouse gas emissions pricing mechanism, but we do expect a sort of a financial element for the global fuel standard. Very briefly, just a reminder on what's happening in the EU. You all know that from the beginning of this year, EU ETS is, on, is in play. Very simple mechanism, uh, cap and trade, meaning that the scope of emissions from, to, and within EU is multiplied by a specific amount. The, the, the fuel consumed is multiplied by a carbon factor. This give, gives you the emission scope, and then you need to surrender a specific amount of EUAs to comply. Similarly, Fuel EU, which is coming into force from the beginning of next year, accounts the amount of energy used on board the ships. It's a much more complex mechanism because it assesses the fuels on a well-to-wake perspective per amount of energy produced, and with Fuel EU in contrast to EU ETS, where you can just simply reduce your consumption, so you reduce your emissions, you reduce your penalties. With Fuel EU, unless you switch to another fuel or to another zero emission technology, the penalties are going to get higher and higher. I love illustrative examples because uh, citing regulations, it's nothing. So a great illustrative example comparing ETS and Fuel EU is the following. We have a Panamax traveling from Europe to Australia, 13,000 miles. The blue line is the ETS penalties. So you can see it starts smoothly, 150. Mm -hmm. It moves up to, these penalties are just for a single trip, okay? It moves up to 200K, while Fuel EU starts small and begins biting a lot in terms of financial penalties from 2030 and beyond. I discussed before briefly about a global fuel standard. How good a global fuel standard would look like? Very similar to Fuel EU. So Fuel EU requires a ramp down, a step down of greenhouse gas intensity, just citing for the ease of the audience that a VLSFO, a very low sulfur fuel oil, has a greenhouse gas intensity of around 91 grams of CO2 per megajoule, while biofuels have around 30 to 50 grams of CO2 per megajoule in the mid-range of the chart. And sustainable fuel, sustainable methanol, for example, is around 7 to 10 grams of CO2 per megajoule. So the yellow line, the orange line, is what fuel you expect us to do in terms of emissions reduction. The green line, it's the global fuel standard of IMO. If a step-down approach is followed, and not a linear approach, 
this is just discussion, but this is how we envisage the global fuel standard trajectory to be based on current submissions. And, okay, just a curve doesn't show anything. Based on current submissions, this would be the annual penalties coming for some types of ships based on average consumption and average trade for the global fuel standard. You can see that these penalties would be for the period annual for 2027 to 2030, which would be the best case scenario because the trajectory is such small compared to the business as usual scenario. As we move closer to 2050, I have some examples and the numbers are much, much higher. So what I would like to say about the global fuel standard is that similarly to Fuel EU, it's a mechanism that not only has a stick, but it also presents a carrot. The idea and the intent of the legislator would be to incentivize the uptake of alternative fuels and also reward early movers and early adopters of alternative fuels. For example, people who are, uh, and ship owners who are owning and operating ships that can burn low carbon fuels, where a pooling ratio of 26 vessels to one would be sufficed to alleviate all the penalties similarly uh, as per the fuel EU regulation. Closing, uh, I would like to show to you how the global fuel standard would look like for a 10,000 TEU vessel with a business as usual scenario. The prices that you are seeing are in the range of million USD. So in the BAU scenario, the penalties are raging up very quickly for that vessel. However, if you switch to another fuel, to blue ammonia, for example, you can see that there are rebates until a specific point. And if you would sum up all the rebates and all the penalties, you would have just to pay 3.8 million. So pretty good deal for a blue fuel or a green fuel like ammonia or methanol. Another factor, and I'm going to close with this, because we discuss about regulations, we discuss about uh, what is going to happen, but we fail to address the practicalities. This is a projection from a recent study regarding the prices of future fuels. So, when someone does his strategy and does his accounting and says, I'm going to earn that much money from fuel EU or save that much money from ETS, someone needs to account of the green fuel prices. It's really interesting to see the median, the high and the low of these prices and the, price, the, the fuel price projections. And it makes the game even more interesting in terms of forming an energy transition strategy and when to use a, fuel, a specific fuel, when to switch to an alternative fuel, when to use conventional in order to make the best case of your sensitivity analysis and energy transition strategy. So 
George, thank you very much for bearing with me. And thank you, everyone, for listening to me. Uh, hope that any questions can be addressed at a later stage. I will be available. Thank you, Jorgo. Thank you, Theo. Don't leave yet, one sec. Thank you. Thank you very much for your presentation. I mean, you were quite daring, actually, because you touched upon a topic which is fairly controversial, which we're going to hear more light on that in the following panel now. But one, one question, if I may ask, is this. You've placed a lot of emphasis on the alternative fuels, on the pricing. What about the big issue about supply of these fuels? Secondly, with regard to ammonia, what about the horrific situation of the risks? I find that perhaps, and I just want mine, one small comment, if I may, if you may. Uh, what about giving some credit to so many ship owners who've spent a vast amount of money, a amount of investment, in investing in modern ships which have got such low consumption. I'm hearing about figures uh, of ships which are ships 60, 70,000 tons burning 16 to 17 tons of fuel. Shouldn't they get some credit for what they're doing? Thank you. Yeah, Jorgo, that, that's an excellent question. So the issue of demand and supply of alternative fuels is really great yet. I would dare to say that the major producers and players like the oil and gas majors are making significant investments to uh, uptake the production of blue and green fuels. We know about blue methanol and blue ammonia productions in the US and um, in Northern Europe. We know that specific fuel providers uh, and big names, big traders in Geneva, they are ramping up their production, especially for methanol. And on the second set of question, of course, it's a matter of, it would not be a matter of pure incentive, but the owners who have been prudent and have vessels that are running on much more efficient uh, uh, fuel consumption, they will pay less. However, the regulation will affect everyone who is not running on an alternative fuel from some point. And from 2035 and beyond, the penalties would be uh, so big that something would need to be considered. So the, it's a good idea and a good thought for thought for someone who is making his strategy, for example, building a vessel today, he may invest in a carbon capture-ready solution and he could retrofit in his second special survey. So there are a lot of things that can be done, but the truth is that from 2035 and beyond, something radical would need to change. So as we say in the legal profession, one should not confuse justice with the law. <laughs> Thank you. Correct. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.